Hello, <laughs> and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And I am Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched... Blade, Blade Runner. Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, so we're not doing a remake. We're doing a continuation. Yeah, I'm story, so excited. Which, uh, yeah, which is great. Yeah. So if you haven't seen either one of these movies, it's cool. It's awesome. Like you should watch them. They're it's 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 cinema. Le cinema. <laughs> it's le, le cinema. The first one was out in like 1982, mm-hmm. and then this one came out just a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's super recent. Yeah. We both saw it in theaters. Yeah, we did. It was great. Oh my gosh, I'm. I was so excited to talk about this. Yes. Okay. I'm, so, I'm pumped. And now that we've gone back and watched it, I am even more excited to talk about this because holy shit. Yeah. Oh, There's, man. Looking at it with like intentional lens, like with an intentional lens and not just being like, this is sick. I love the story, but going and being like. Or like, I'm I gonna, love this I'm, world. Yeah. I know? love this world. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to look at this and see what I find. But Yeah. Like, it's cool because like, I always like loved and watched this and then like watching it through this, I'm like, oh. Some of this stuff was not cute that I didn't pick up on before and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because I was yeah. just like, I I love sci-fi. I love everything sci-fi most of the time. And I will forgive a bunch of shit with sci-fi that I probably shouldn't when I'm just like normally watching something yeah. like with this like movie. Like this, 100%. Right? But yeah. So did you know that there are three short films that take place in between the first one and the second one? I didn't know that. They were all released, I think, just before the new movie came out. But I did not know that. And now I want to go fucking watch them because one of the people. Uh, so there's like two directors for those three. One of them was the person that did Cowboy Bebop. Whoa. And the Animatrix, which is I forget their name, but that's fucking dope. That is cool. And the other one is Ridley Scott's Child. Wow. Which is kind of cool, too. Oh, yeah. I'm super down to watch. Yeah, are they I've... Are they like, are they full films? Um, you said short films. No, they're short films. Oh, good, good, yeah. good. Okay. But um, I really want to watch that. Yeah, so, same. Because I guess like one of them talks about the blackout and stuff like that, too. Yeah. Because I want to know more about the blackout, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. We'll get to that later. But I have seen these films before. I love them. Yeah. I know. I was really, I was, I was so elated to like do this because it's. It's just they're good. <laughs> so it's yeah, I'm just it was it was nice to watch like good movies. <laughs> Not well, to say like, every other movie we've seen is bad because I disagree. I'd like we watch some good stuff. There's things that we really love, but then like the remake or the like retelling. Like this is one where I feel like they did such a fucking good job. They really did. Yeah. Such a good job. I know. Oh. Creating with intent. Okay. Should we do it? Yeah, let's just do it. Okay, wait. <laughs> In Los Angeles in the scary futuristic year 2019, Deckard, an ex-Blade Runner, is pressured out of retirement to retire a band of renegade replicants led by Rory Batty, who honestly just wants to live. In the process of hunting the replicants, he meets Rachel, who, unbeknownst to herself, is also a replicant. After exposing her to her true nature, Rachel disappears and reappears in Deckard's bed. Meanwhile, Pris befriends and manipulates J.F. Sebastian, the key replicant geneticist, and with Batty's help, coaxes him into leading them to Tyrell, the man who created them to literally get a life. When it's revealed his lifespan cannot be extended, Roy becomes incredibly aggressive and scared as he only has a few more hours to live. In a final showdown with Deckard, Roy pushes Deckard to the brink of his own fear and imparts poetic wisdom in his final moments. Deckard returns home, grabs his female prize, and rides off into the non-existent sunset. All right, let's fucking talk about this movie. 
There are seven. I think I read that there are at least seven. At least, yeah. Like it, there was a debate on like how many different versions of this film there are. Yeah. But we know there are at least four. There might possibly be seven. There's a fucking wild amount because Ridley Scott is a perfectionist. And so he at some point I think was like fired and then rehired in like the process of this movie yeah. or whatever. And the point where he was fired was when they decided to like add in like those shitty voiceover and stuff. So like the theatrical version that was released initially had no voiceover and then they did a bunch of audience test groups and everything yeah. and they fucking hated this yeah. movie. So the reason that the voiceover was added in the theatrical version was because like a lot of films like this weren't being made like wide scale mm -hmm. at that point. So like and you had to like infer a lot and it was like, you know, you had to do too much thinking. Yeah. So the voiceover is just to like be like the person that holds your hand through the story. And I've seen that version before and it's terrible. It's wild. It's, it's wild. I have it's not seen terrible, that version. And I yeah. hate it so much. So I was really excited. The exposition we watched, <laughs> uh did we watch the, the final the cut. final cut. The final yeah. cut, yeah. So that is great. The theatrical cut doesn't have anything about the unicorn. It doesn't like leave any like sort of ambiguity or anything. Even like in the end, it like is like, oh, and Rachel is one of the replicants that doesn't have, you know, a four year lifespan. Yay. Yeah. You know, right. Like, so it's like, oh, man. But yeah. So um, there are hella cuts of this movie. There are. And I'm really happy because <laughs> I don't. I have not seen the final cut. So this is my first time seeing this iteration of it. I think my only experience with this movie was the theatrical cut, the release of that. And I still like, I like even that version. I was like, this is a great movie. I still like this. I think I enjoyed this version of the film more. Yeah. I liked this version more than that one. And I guess it seems like in the fandom definitively that this one is the one that most people can this agree. One or the director's cut. Or the director's cut. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess the director's gone. Yeah. Well, either way, this one was great. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I really did. Um, I have a lot to say about it. Should I go into the gay thing already? Should we just Sure, yeah, it? go for it. Right out of the gate. Okay, yeah. So I have this sneaky suspicion that this movie is just about queer people because of its timeline and because of the way that it talks about othering of different people and the idea of passing into society as a queer person or as a cis male who is feminine or a cis female who is masculine so queer community and all that stuff so replicants is just another word for queers and gay people so at first for me it hit when she's doing the eye test and he asks her he's like um what would you say to me if i showed you a picture of a naked woman he's like or and then rachel is like yeah. are you testing to see if i'm a replicant or if i'm a lesbian yeah and i was like cool so interesting pushback so that like opened my eyes to it a little bit. And then the next time that it kind of like triggered this idea for me was when Batty goes to Tyrell and when he kills Tyrell, he gives him this like really intense kiss. Oh, yeah. Like hard. Like the first half of the kiss is emotional and romantic and like it's a smooch. And then he like gouges his eyes out. And so that to me was almost like. The, the idea of like, I'm so mad that I can't be regular. It's like sort of killing this idea. Like you made me. It's sort of like, I'm I like, I wasn't made wrong. I'm not made differently. This is just who I am. And fuck you for making me this way. And also the idea that like the candle burns so bright and it burns out faster is that idea, especially at this time, because this movie came out in 82, the first instance of AIDS was in June of 1981. So this was starting to become a big 
topic. I mean, people were dying. Reagan was refusing to acknowledge all this stuff. And the idea of like burning bright, like partying and like living your beautiful life and just like love and sex and all that stuff. Like these young people were dying fast. So it was like this super bright light that would just burn out fast. And so like just the phrasing of that was just kind of like, ooh. And then that kiss. And I was like, what? And then all those like tests, it was like, the idea that replicants can fit into society and you can't tell is just passing is the idea of just passing as a gay person, Damn. right? In just regular society, that's all it is. It's just mm-hmm. you can pass or you can't pass. And it is, as soon as you're in an environment like these replicants were in an environment with Deckard where they felt like he could tell, they were like, I'm in danger. I need to go. I mean, that's, that's just passing because at that point, people didn't care about queer people at all. So like if queer people were killed, well... They were probably coming onto them, so they were justified in killing them. It's fine. Like, that was just how it was viewed for, like, gay people at that time. And same thing with, like, the AIDS crisis. Like, nobody was really talking about it because, like, who cares about gay people, right? Like, our own government couldn't acknowledge that it was an epidemic. They couldn't even recognize it. So, that's all fucked. And then the whole last scene, Deckard and Batty are in the house. It's almost like a maze. It's hella dark. Everything's hella wet, right? Like, the rain is coming in. So verbatim, Batty says, I'm right here, but you got to shoot straight. But straight doesn't seem to be good enough. Because he misses, he shoots at him and he misses the shot. And he's like, I'm right here. You got to shoot straight, but straight doesn't seem to be good enough. And I was like, what? He says, I'm going to give you a few seconds before I come. Like, that's the line that he says in the fucking movie. (laughs) Like, before I come (laughs) after you, I'm going to give you some time to like redo this. But he doesn't say come after you. He says, I'm going to give you a few seconds before I come. The word come. Yeah. Come on, (laughs) y'all. Right? Come on. Come on. And then he keeps fighting and then he literally says, you better get it up or else I'm going to kill you. If you can't get it up, you can't play. Fuck. So this hella gay loaded language of like, and and, okay, yeah. So, uh, wild. Throughout this entire scene, he's taking off his clothes. Yes. So he takes off his jacket, he takes off his pants and then you see when they're on the roof, he's wearing like these mesh shorts with a fucking thong. Which is implying oh, is all, it a thong? yes, it is. He's wearing a full noticed. thong. So Shit. it's almost implying like complete nudity. And then I took it a step further, which I don't think this is reaching, but like this house is full of corridors. It has a bunch of turns. It's dark. There are these lights and it's wet. They're in a literal bathhouse. Shit. Batty knows his way around. And there's these two men. He's taking off his clothes. It's like this idea of like, you think I'm this predator. I'll show you. I'll show you I'm this predator. If you want me to die so bad, I'll fucking show you. I'll show you that gay people are to be feared. If you think that we're scary, if you think that like we're going to kill you and your children, well, I've got an hour to live. So fuck it. Yeah. It's like the whole thing. And then it's just like that, that I know I was just like, it was all this. And then I was like, damn. But I think just the idea of passing legitimately, the idea of passing with like the eye test and like your quiz, you better get these answers right. Like, if you're a guy, you better know sports. You better know this. Yeah. You better know what you're talking about. Otherwise, we're going to think you're a sissy. Yeah, we have we're to give think, you the right answers. And you have yeah. to give them to me right now. Yeah. You don't have time to think about them. You don't have time this. to think about them. Nope. So um, I want to kind of build off of that. Yeah. Because um, so there was this whole debate on whether Deckard was a replicant or not. Mm-hmm. So Harrison Ford, up until 2049 came out, right, yeah. was like, he was a fucking human. He was a human because he based his Deckard off of the um, Philip K. Dick book, which this is loosely based stuff of. Ridley Scott never read it. Right? Yeah. So it was the do uh, uh, electric sheep. Yeah. 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 Um, so Ridley Scott said, oh, like right off the bat, like Deckard is 1000 percent 
a fucking uh, replicant, right? So then how does that play into fitting in and all of that, right? He himself doesn't know or is afraid of that. Like, and then also Rachel at one point is like, have you ever taken this test? You know, and stuff like that. So like, it's, I feel like, I don't know, like he he doesn't realize he's this or he's afraid to like try to explore that because of what that means, yeah. you know, and how that's going to change him. And then he's also hunting his own, mm-hmm. right? So building off Rory Batty at the end, right? Where he's like taking him through these corridors and he's doing this and he's like essentially like exposing him to this. He's like, look, look at here I am. Look at yourself. Look at, look at, look look at, at yourself you. in this space. You're yeah. in this space with me. Yeah. What does that mean for you? Yeah. He's like he's like the closeted politicians of San Francisco that Harvey Milk used to out in front of their families. Yeah. He is that person. Yeah. Yeah. And so also like it was the test. It was like that test that was the first thing. And then even when Deckard and Rachel have like that first sex scene, which is like low key rape. Oh, it is. I'm like high key. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. that later. But she like tries to leave and he slams the door and he's being aggressive. He tells her to say the words kiss me. Yeah. She's not into it at all. He's attracted to this idea of otherness, this, this this idea of like something that isn't what he's used to, but she's like not sexually interested. Because in my head I'm like she's yeah. gay. She's a re- like she is a representative of being gay of like this and and he's he's trying to convince himself in the same way by like I want you to say this for me to be attracted to you. I want you to do these things so I can be attracted to you. So in my head he is trying to make himself feel straight, whereas she's trying to fit in. In some, he in, also he's didn't manipulating seem into her, it, right? Like yeah. he was like telling her, like, "Tell me you love me. Like, yes. tell me this." And like both of them, it didn't feel like there was any feeling no. there. It didn't feel, and like you're saying, like if uh, she's queer, right, doesn't know that he is. And so it's this weird, and this weird, awkward tango of like, this isn't really working for either one of us, but we have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. That weird in the closet sex. <laughs> but not to, yeah. but yeah. I don't yeah. want to conflate that with rape because I think in this instance, he definitely was oh, he absolutely, predatory yeah. in the scene. 1000%. Yeah. But then that also plays to like, if you're trying to like push down these feelings or push down who you are, you know, and then you get angry or yeah. frustrated like that, that whole narrative. It's the right? whole thing. Yeah. And then even at the end, because I think him going with her is sort of him embracing the his own otherness. Because in that last scene, um, the other cop mm-hmm. who sees, he essentially threatens Deckard and saying, I hope she's still alive. Like, he says something. Um, so he says something. To effect, no, right? no, no. He does. But I got the feeling from him. Like, I feel like that. So that was Edward James almost. Right. Yeah. Who is fucking great. So say we all. But I felt like the whole time, because he's doing these like uh, little paper um, origami things, right? And each time he places them, it's really interesting because of what they mean where he places them. Because that that was really cool too. Him to me placing that there in that last scene was like a moment of allyship is what it felt like. Whereas like, he's not a part of it. He's not a part of those people, those others. But he's not going to get in the way of somebody living their life he's like i see you it's not my thing but you're just a person like me so you know what i mean he's not gonna come out and like i'm pro gay (laughs) but he's definitely not gonna like out anybody you know what i mean oh a thousand percent for sure the animals that he places that has to do directly with what's happening in that scene and where they are and then the one that he finds at his apartment right is a unicorn so you know that he has been there 
right? Mm-hmm. And like that was him just trying to say like, hey, you need to go get her before somebody else does. Because if know? it wasn't me, it was somebody else. But it was a unicorn. Been. Yeah. Right? And so a unicorn being magical, Mag- special, yeah. you know, there's something about this, right? Yeah. Like one of a kind, all of that. And, you know, also playing into when I think of unicorns, I think of rainbows and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. So bringing it back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then uh, not to jump too far ahead to the next film. <laughs> There is something that I read and I looked at it and I kind of see it, but like, you know, the horse, the wooden horse, yeah. there's a part that looks like a horn could have been broken oh, off. Oh, really? Which is also kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, like allyship, like you were saying, like, hey, remember, you need to go do this. Like, like hey, it, stay safe. It's still unsafe for you, but I yes. see you and I'm on your side. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sick. Oh my god! And They're- I love that. And uh, on the topic of Edward James, almost yeah, the like uh, language in this film is just very fluid, right? Yeah. and it's very like mashed together and everything because of globalization and all of the other things. Fucking Edward James, almost solely himself created that language called city speak and he used a mixture of japanese spanish and german as well as Hungarian, Chinese, and French in order to achieve a realistic dialect. Yeah. How fucking dope is that? Ooh, come How on, fucking fusion. dope is that? Uh, but he wanted to incorporate all ethnicities and make sure that they were visible in the film. Okay. Even though it leans super, super heavy into like Japanese culture and stuff yes. like that. But yeah, I thought that was fucking dope. That but is cool. I didn't he, know that. Yeah. How cool. Like that I thought really it was sick. just like, I don't know, a language that I didn't understand. But yeah. like that was him. Fucking good on that. you. I love you, Edward James almost. That's sick. So yeah, allyship. Yeah, uh, that, the whole case. Okay. Of, there was there was we, one more line I wanted to say. Yes, yes, please so, do. Sorry, I didn't mean to take no, this no, over. No, no, I forgot. I'm to just say so this. excited about this. One of his last lines, Batty's last lines, is to Deckard saying, "Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it?" Yes. Which I was just like, "Damn!" Like, yeah, it's in the same way that a lot of people at that time considered gay people as predators or gay men as predators and as pedophiles and all that stuff. I mean, that's just who gay people were. They didn't don't deserve rights. They're garbage. They're bad. They're monsters. In the same way that that kind of thing was justified in murder and all that stuff, like he just flips it on him and says, it's pretty crazy to live in fear all the time, huh? That's yeah. my life. That's been my life. That is my life. And that's our life. Isn't that something? You were hunting us. How does it feel to be hunted? Not good. And then he dies. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, with the dove. I know. With the dove. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. But that was crazy. Yeah. And I tried to look it up afterwards, too. A couple people have talked about it, but not in the way that I feel like fully in depth or like fully analyzing it from a queer perspective. Mm-hmm. I guess when this movie came out, I read a couple small essays by gay men who were saying that at this time in the 80s, the story resonated with them so strongly because of the AIDS epidemic. So they would see oh, this really? and they would see. Yeah, because it was happening like this came out in 82. The first case was in 81 and then it lasted. I mean, obviously still, but like yeah. through the late 80s into the 90s. And so like them seeing their friends die, they saw themselves as replicants because it's like we are only here for so long because we will die. Like we will die of this no matter what. Yeah. This is a gay disease. It's getting all of us. All of my friends are dead. I'm next, essentially. So it's that it like that fear and like having to just exist in a world in that way. It was like it resonated with them. But I feel like nobody's like written a really good piece on it. And I was like looking for that piece. I'm like, there's no way somebody hasn't done this. If you've done it and that piece is out there, 
I want to read it so bad. Also, get into it. I would really like you to write a piece. I know. This. Maybe I, I think should. it would be I, great. It's so maybe good. That'll, that'll be <sighs> like our first article blog. Ooh, thing. yeah, yeah. We should do it's that. just so like rife with with like just queerness and being. Well, then you other can tie that like, into the next film uh, too, because yeah. like if we're going based off of like okay, like you know the 1980s, mm-hmm. like and then AIDS happened, and then holy shit, like everybody that was already like out and doing it, right? Yeah is fucked because you don't know you probably have AIDS you might you might not yeah. who knows right and then the next generation is going to live longer because they're maybe more careful or well, well, you know, I th- that, I think that information is out it there it was more right? of an information whereas before it was just a gay cancer and they yeah. didn't know how it was spreading so then, whereas we know and then EZT and all that stuff and then moving on to the generation after that they're allowed to exist but only in certain capacities yeah. and have to be controlled and have to like obey like yeah yeah I, no, I know. I'm I know. like, I'm just spitballing here, but I'm like, we could probably tie it like, into the net. Yeah. Cause there, cause there's like yeah. the obviously queer bullying of being othered. Of oh, like, a thousand percent. Yeah. Which we'll obviously get into in the next one, but well, and this one too. Because, well, this one. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much racism directed towards like, I mean, and that's, I feel like that goes a little bit because like globalization has happened so much that like there's always going to be a prejudice. And so the targets of that now are the replicants, even though they're the ones that are building their fucking worlds. They're the ones that are like helping everybody out and yeah. like doing all the dangerous jobs and all of that. And they still can't get any recognition for that. Really? You know? And even in the streets when like, what's her name? Who is a, the dancer with the snake? Oh, I just have her in my notes as Beauty Beast because yeah. that's what they referred to her as in the. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, she's, because she's, she's pretty, but the she's the beauty and the beast, oh, and I was like, "Yeah, fuck off." Yeah, them the- chasing her in the street. <sighs> yeah, like she's being hunted down, and everyone's like, "Yeah, cool, get her." And then she yeah. gets shot, and nobody bats an eye, and they're like, "Oh, you did this?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm a Blade Runner." They're like, "Oh, good, thank you so much for your help." Her death scene was gorgeous. I mean, it was. It beautiful. was her like- jumping, th- falling through that window where it's like fake snow. Yeah, and then like she was wearing the the clear plastic. The fashion, I, the fashion. The, I mean, it this was, whole film oh my was God. just so good. Yes, yeah, truly. That I want that look so bad. Also, uh, she got fucked by her snake. Is that what happened? Like the way that they talked about it, I have it like written down oh, here. The like, uh, you think I can afford a real one? So, I mean, animals are scarce here, right? So, so it's like a yeah. fake snake. So, yeah. like, it's cheaper to manufacture an animal than it is to get a real one yeah but like the line that they use when she's going to perform is watch her take the pleasure from the serpent that once corrupted man oh it's, no uh, so like that line if we want to dissect that is about her using like, it well and also think of like the adam and eve yes thing, yeah, right yeah. you know yeah, yeah. so like she's getting what she deserves i i don't know i it, it was gross and she that's a dense ass statement for sure there's a lot there and it's just kind of like swept under the rug i didn't you know? even catch that like, at whatever. all yeah yeah so dang <laughs> and that's pretty much all we know about her she got fucked by a snake and her death scene looked hella cool yeah it was very pretty but it was sad but it was like incredibly pretty it was gorgeous yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> i also i want to talk about rachel Yes, please. And we'll just like, first things first, her fashion, her looks were so good. Like so the shoulder, great. the full triangle, like the, the shapes, bangs, the, the hair, the lips, the all like, of it, just the shape. Oh, my God. Uh, like everything. Stunning. Yeah. Every like 
Oh my god, Sean Young, right? Yeah. She was stunning in this. Like yeah. and the character I just like I liked the character herself, like where she's realizing she's a replicant and like kind of going through that process of realizing her well, to some degree. I do think she is like saddened by the fact that some of her memories aren't her own. Because mm-hmm. she like, I mean, she wants real memories and it's like For sure. it's like these and inauthentic memories are their own like thing yeah, yeah yeah so in that degree she's like bummed out but also like i don't know i liked i thought she was cool i liked her introduction mm-hmm. but then that's the only time that i feel like we really see her strong she was an experiment to tyrell right mm-hmm. because he made her so real that even a blade runner couldn't detect her or like he has this line where it takes deckard like 150 questions to get she's a replicant yeah where it usually takes 15 to 20 questions max right yeah. But then Tyrell won't take her calls. He won't see her or anything because she's been found out. Whatever, cool. So she's another experiment, just kind of like pushed off. And then from then on, she's just kind of helpless. And she doesn't really like, you know, we kind of see her start to question some things where she's like, I didn't know if I could play piano. I guess I can. But oh, yeah. when we see her, she shows up to Deckard's apartment and is like, you're lying and then it's like okay your memories aren't real and she's sad and then she tries to leave and there's the weird rape scene yeah and then the only other times that we really see her she's in bed i guess that's true huh so once she understands who and what she is she is then reduced to just being at home and then in the next film being the mother right uh oh you know what she doesn't like but if you really look at her character what about Rachel is like we she's got her look right which is also a very feminine thing to to focus on right and she I think it's her her strength her strength that comes from the confidence of that like first scene when she's walking through not only is she like because of her physical appearance she's like Mm -hmm. very very composed like her angles are like severe yeah so she looks relatively intimidating in that way but the way she carries herself into that test where she's like mm-hmm. meeting him and they're talking uh she carries herself with such confidence and such reassurance of like i know who i am do you know who you are because it seems like but you know, then it turns out that she it, doesn't know it switches. anything yeah you're right and mm-hmm. so like she takes down her hair and then we don't really she's never she never has that confidence or there's sharp angles or anything you know even in her presentation of herself or anything. She's just kind of, she's more natural, which is great, you know, and that's like another thing that we can talk about, right? Yeah. But she's, uh, there's nothing there. If you take out that first introduction we have to her, what is there? And that first introduction was like, just so strong. And that's like, like first impressions, Mm -hmm. right? Are fucking so important. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I, cause I just remember like fucking loving her and then being yes. And then like she gets raped and then she's just like, they're forced to hang around this guy, you know. And then she's surprised. Yeah. So she's told through like men tell her how to feel and what to do and how to act and even to the way of like controlling her memories. So she's just been gaslit to all hell. Yes. Right? Oh and I ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. uh like and all of the replicants have all been gaslit to high hell to the point to where they're given photographs and all of this stuff. Where like like those like and memories are like touchstones to who they're supposed to be. But like it's so icky. <laughs> it is icky. Yeah, that the whole gaslighting thing, I like 
it's just straight up a gaslighting narrative. Well, yeah, it's all used to uh, control and confuse the replicants to where they're like just subdued enough because they're given hope or they're given these feelings that then they try to control through these means of, like I said, photographs or these memories. And it's also weird, like some of the memory choices that they made. For instance, there's they specifically implanted the I show you mine, you show me yours thing. And it's like her brother. So that's weird. But like then she gets scared and runs away. Right. Like that. And that was the memory that they chose to talk about. Yeah. So the first time that you're maybe have feeling. I don't know. Well, it's just it's just the idea of I show you mine. You show me yours as like a pseudo not necessarily a sexual experience as a kid. But like the first time a lot of kids are like thinking about the idea of genitals and the private parts and like Mm -hmm. in that experience. And like you're kind of coming into your own personal cognizance about your body and like how you look, how how you're made up. Like or even yeah, it could even be like coming out to somebody, right? Yeah, like, even hey, that. this is who I am, you know, and then being scared because what does this mean for me because I have feelings for you running away? I That could even be playing into um, into what you were talking about Oh, earlier. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's the idea of like coming out but then running back in sort of. I yeah. mean, that shit happened to me in high school. I came out to my friend and then he came out to me and then the next day we were both kind of like, wait, no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know. It was weird. So, Jordan, if you're listening, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> No, but yeah, so it, it's, it really is one of those, like, that is what it felt like. It is like one of those first moments of mm-hmm. kind of like taking a leap on your own body, like yeah. acknowledging it and being like, this is this is who I am, I think. And then mm, maybe not. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I get you. Um, since we're on the topics of women and all of these other things, I want to talk about Pris too. Like, so all of. Yeah. There's three women in this film. Mm-hmm. Two main ones. And the two main ones are Rachel, who isn't really in a lot of the movie, but she's so the she looks so stunning and is so iconic that feels like she is because her presence was just so fucking strong, right? Yeah. And then there's Pris, and Pris is a pleasure model, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you look at all three of these women, they are programmed for sex, right? And you know to listen to commands from a man, Mm -hmm. but she uses her like feminine wiles to like. To get to where she needs to go. Yeah. Essentially. And I don't know, like, she's also really, like, immature, too, uh, in the way that she acts. And Sebastian, like, calls who he makes all of his friends, right? The mm-hmm. geneticist. And they're all, like, his, he calls them his toys, right? And then in the end, the way that she presents herself is as a toy. As herself. a doll. Yeah. yeah I, I think that kind of plays into the sort of infantilization of sexual feminine energy, where it's mm-hmm. like, it's 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 this idea of being young and ignorant to a lot of things to where a big strong man can like tell you what the world is and like be in charge and be like I'll show you this thing that you've never seen for the first time. It's the infantilization of that, right? And so like mm-hmm. I think the, I mean that her, her whole character was like that. Well, she she didn't really do anything of her own accord. Again, she was just acting on what she was told to do. Yeah. Cuz then she saw what's his name? They went to his house and then she brought her friend and that was just so they can go get to Tyrell. Yeah, and she she targeted him too. Mm-hmm. And in like uh, almost every instance in this, the women are all kind of extensions of their male counterparts and yeah. what they want, right? So Rachel initially was, you know, Tyrell's like experiment and creation. And then once she was found out, then 
she became Deckard's, right? Yes. She had no time to where she was herself to be able to like explore her own thoughts and her own feelings and desires and everything. Yeah. And the same thing with Pris and the same thing with Beauty Beast, whatever. They all lacked any sort of autonomy that would explore a sense of individuality. It was all just like, we are owned by somebody else. They kind of dictate what our life is. Well, in any kind of depth too, I feel. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean. You're the- totally right on, on the Rachel stuff too. Like, I didn't even acknowledge that she totally, her whole character was just muted immediately after that first scene. Well, and she was mostly there, I think, because again, like she's, she's talking about herself, but mm-hmm. really the conversation is about Deckard. And so she's just there to have us explore his PTSD. Yeah. Right. With like killing replicants and with like and it never quite sits right with him. Right. And yeah. he's like it never goes away when he's trying to talk to her. And like he's like in this business, you get used to it. And she's like, I'm not in the business. I am the business. I wrote that line down. Uh, too. Oh, my God. Like she she had some great lines, oh. but all of those lines were most weren't meant for her. They were meant for him to question his place and question his morality and his existence. Because he's conflating the casual idea of a job and of having business to attend to with the actual act of murder. And she's like, no, no, no. That is business for you. I am the business that you need to attend to. I'm the one you're trying to kill. Yeah. I'm the one being murdered. You're the one doing the murdering, sir. Uh, But I think the line itself was just like a really nice, like severe, like little snap. I just, it was, it was sick. I like that line so much. Yeah. That was a great line. That was for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of things. I have some stuff about cops and about how they operate outside of the law. So basically, when Deckard is trying to trying to live his fucking beautiful, messed up life, yeah. right? Like he is basically pressured and blackmailed into going back to the police station where his boss is like, uh, or his old boss is like, hey, I need you, kid. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, okay. But he's just like, uh, you're either one of us. Or you're nothing. And we can, like, it, it sounded like he was going to find a reason to put him in jail or yeah. something, right? And then I think it's also worth noting that not only do they think that they are above the law and above everybody else, but they're physically above everybody else, too. Because I don't cars. think I saw any other flying car except cop cars. Yeah. They That's literally really preside over <gasps> all of, and, and they're, like, physically above and, yeah. Yeah. And it, like even in that scene when uh, he's just sitting in his car on the street and then the cop car flies over and he's like, hey, we're arresting you. And he's like, nope, I'm a cop. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Carry on. Like he was doing yeah. something he wasn't supposed to. And they're like, he's like, no, 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 I'm I'm this. And they're like, okay, say goodbye. <laughs> like, cool. No, never mind. JK, you're not a civilian. Got it. Which is again like, but it's so interesting that they are literally above the people. They're above the law. They're above. Yeah. They're physically above everybody. And that they're the only ones allowed to be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. So that was a thing. Also, I want to talk about, and I think this will carry us into the next film. Uh, the replicants were created as a slave class. Yes. Right? We've already talked about that. But like the whole like there's something in in their eyes and stuff like that. Like that was a cool fucking effect, by yes. the way. It was really cool. Because when they're in the shadow and you just see the pupils of their eyes as if it's like a cat in the dark. It's like, yes. Yeah. And then I also love because, I mean, it was like a gorgeous movie. But the cinematography of like there were moments where like something happened and then what's his name was of two minds. And they had only half of his face illuminated because he was like conflicted. I was like, oh, cute. 
And then it cuts yeah, yeah. to like a tunnel that looks like an eye after a close up of somebody's eye. They did that in the next one too, which was like one of those small homage moments, just c- cinema wise, cinematically yeah. is the word I was looking for. Um, but yeah, so it was like some of those moments were gorgeous and cool. I mean, for real though, like this movie like went way over budget, but oh. um, <laughs> they also had to use like props from like other films because they went too far over budget. So there's like props from Star Wars and like. I want to say like Alien or something. I think actually Scott said, or really Scott said that this and Alien are in the same universe. Ooh. I think. Um, yeah, there was something I read about that. Like there were, the connection is so strong that he wanted to call the Wayland Company, uh, the Wayland Tyrell Company, Ooh. like shit like that. So I read that like just before we did this and I was like, fuck, we have to do that. We have to talk about this. Yeah. But yeah, so like the replicants... When you get down to, like, the heart of them, they just, like you said, they just want to live, right? And their main thing is that they just want validation and proof that they existed. Like, you know, if only, I I think Roy Betty at the end says something like, if only you could see what I've seen, things like this. Yeah. Like, because he just, he just wants to know that he did all of this and he lived his life in a manner that, like, just won't be forgotten or, like, thrown away. Yeah. Like, you know, he doesn't want to feel like trash, you know? Yeah. He doesn't and, want his life to be in vain, whatever short life that was, just because he's something that is undesirable. Yeah, and I don't know. I think that that's such a human thing, too. And also, like, the idea of using whatever little life that you have to try to be free and yeah. to try to, you know, prove that you exist and all of this other stuff. Like, that's one of the most human things that anybody can do. Mm-hmm. So by trying to get validation from the humans, they, in fact, proved that I think that they're more human than most of the humans that yeah. we encounter in this. The people who were the most vicious were the humans, were the Blade Runners, were the ones who were casting out bullying and just okay with murdering. Well, and it's also interesting, too, because everybody that's centered in this film is a replicant. If you go off of the theory that Deckard is a replicant, yeah. right? It's just like... The humans are just like the little props and the characters that set forth the narrative. Yeah. But like, and so everybody in this in this way is being used by the humans that aren't even on screen. Yep. Which is also weird and wild. So I don't know. I love this fucking. Movie. I loved it too. It's and a replicant story. It. Uh, a queer replicant Ooh, story. Yes, it is. I love this. Replicants. The replicant community is the queer community. That's it. Love it. <laughs> In Los Angeles of the scary futuristic year 2049, K, a replicant Blade Runner, is off hunting renegade replicants who have lives and just want to keep them. In the process of hunting the replicants, he finds a box of bones belonging to a replicant that had a baby. The LAPD tries to cover it up, surprise, but not before catching the attention of tech guru and goop subscriber Neander Wallace, who is pro-slavery. <laughs> Kay goes off to find information about the child, but finds himself questioning his own existence, believing that he is, in fact, that child. This leads him to Las Vegas, where he meets possible Daddy Deckard, and unfortunately, this time, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas because he gets kidnapped. Uh, Deckard gets kidnapped. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, and Joy and Love are both there, being extensions of their dudes or whatever. Kay is rescued and told by the Morpheus-adjacent leader of the Underground Replicant Brigade that he isn't the child, he isn't special, and he's got to go kill Deckard. Instead, he saves him and takes him to meet his kid. Cool. Then Kay dies staring at the non-existent sunset. Sunset. We love. This is Blade Runner 2049, y'all. 
It was so pretty. I I was so, I was legit excited to go see this in the theater. I saw it opening weekend Mm -hmm. and it did not disappoint. Like, and one of the things that really made this stand out was because so many movies, you know, the way that most of them are made, especially because like we're in like the superhero movie era or whatever is it's boom, 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 action, 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 bang. All right, cool. But but this one, like it's so quiet. And it lets you sit in these moments and just really take in the breath of what this place is and what it means and what they did and how they allowed that to build the world. You know, they did the show, not tell thing. Yeah. And also just like every line from every person, I felt like just carried so much weight. And they let that weight just kind of like hang there. So you weren't just like, oh, cool. And then this and then this and this. It's like. It's an emotional journey more than anything else. Truly. And I loved it. The writing was so fantastic. The dialogue itself lent so hard into the character development and the nuance of each of these characters and the way they exist in this world with each other. And like you said, the intent was so, it was like so specific. It was so intentional. The worlds themselves, like not only was it gorgeous, but like these amazingly framed shots of like the characters in these spaces being there and existing and like even the moment like even some of the drone pov stuff where he's like telling you what to do and it's zooming in and zooming out and doing that like even that was sick um the colors were amazing like vegas was just oranges and yellows the whole time but it like worked because then they're in that fight in the showroom with elvis and um Fuck, so good. What's, uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, oh my gosh. And the showgirls. Yeah, and so that's the first time we're seeing like blues and reds kind of like we're seeing these other colors. So it like it's the first time that they're confronting each other and that's like a visual change. Like you're in this other space, but this is the one moment to pay attention to because it's different. So pay attention. Yeah. So like it, all of this stuff was so perfect and intentional and crispy and like so good. It's so yeah. good. It, it really was. It's a really and, good like, movie. This is... <laughs> A fucking perfect example of how you can remake or continue stories like, you know, from yesteryear and Mm -hmm. still like have just as much intent as a lot of these remakes and a lot of these continuations try to have. Like, you know, instead of having the plot centered around all of these things that you want to reference, right? It didn't do that. It had the story and it had those people where they needed to be, right? Mm -hmm. And then everything was just kind of lightly sprinkled in there. And they didn't have yes. any moments where it's like, oh, fuck, right? Like that, I feel, is where a lot of films that try to do what this one does fail because yeah. they just play too much into that nostalgia factor and don't let it be a story that sits on its own. Really? You know, they're yeah. not interested in continuing a story or in like, you know, exploring anything new. They're just interested in how can we pull this back up? True, you know? yeah. How can we... Bring this back. Because, like, even in that opening scene where he goes and, like, kills Dave Batista, and then he, they find that box under the tree, if this were a movie that was trying to do that fan servicey thing, that's the immediate moment where they're like, oh, the name on the box says Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> and it would have been like, oh, my gosh, she's dead. Like, this is it. But, like, they didn't do that. So you're still trying to figure out, okay, how does this fit into this? And then it's like, oh, this person died during childbirth, but they have a, a serial number on them. So a replicant had a baby. Oh my God, who was it? And then later you start putting the pieces together that, oh my God, that's Rachel. And maybe this is the son. Maybe that's how these stories are connected. Wait, no, it's not. What the fuck? Like, it's not, it's not doing that shitty expository fan service thing where it's like, our fans are dumb. Let's just not let them think. Let's just let them have fun with the thing that they've wanted for years. Yeah. (laughs) 
you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i feel like this just did such a good job of leading you to the conclusions they wanted you to Mm -hmm. like and i legit did not know where the fuck this movie was going i know like and that was so delightful because i feel like they also played off of a lot of you know modern storytelling too like in the sense it's not let's do the complete opposite it's like because they let you sit with these moments and everything they like Mm -hmm. you know they let time be your guide through the story and let you make your own like they were very deliberate in how they wanted you to interpret this character's feelings and emotions because we only see this film through Kay, right? Or Joe or whatever we're going to call him. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was just, it was so, so, so good. Yes. You're so right because they do not sacrifice time. Like, they let you sit in these moments of silence with this character in these spaces. Like, when he's at the adoption place, the factory, and he's like walking through remembering this memory of him putting the the little horse in the cloth in the furnace. Mm-hmm. He's remembering this moment and he's just like walking through these passages. He's not saying anything. He's seeing this. We're seeing this. We're experiencing it with him, seeing him go through this moment of like, could this be the place? Could this be it? Yeah. And that happens for like three or four minutes and straight. And Gosling did an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, he did. Because yeah, like, yeah. I, I mean, like, most of the movie, he doesn't have an expression, right? He's just mm-hmm. kind of like there. And sometimes you could see like, you know, him think or whatever, but like that's how he was supposed to play. And then when you see him break in that one, you're just like, well, when uh, he yells, yeah. when he's at the, um, the memory creator, yeah. I forget her name. I, I forgot her name too. But I when, just... when he's trying to figure out if his memory is like a real memory or mm-hmm. if it was given to him, because he can't differentiate the two and she sees it and she like starts crying and she's like, this is somebody's memory. And then he like, breathe in and like you can see like his lip kind of shaking and then he just fucking screams and gets up and leaves and you're just like yeah it was so so good and like (laughs) he was super nervous to play this role from what i read but because the director had made it very apparent that the story is what is going to drive this he was like all right chill and so i love that i love that this wasn't just like all right you are the blah 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 you're harrison ford now (laughs) no the story is paramount the story is the most important thing about this not getting this in the frame not putting an extra thing in here because we need this or we need to call this back it was just this is our story that we are telling yes so good um so to play on to Kay's lack of emotion mm-hmm. i thought it was really interesting and also really shitty and led to the tokenization of women in this but love and joy i want to talk about love and joy <laughs> and how their names are literally emotions right yeah. because when you look at their male counterparts right when you look at wallace and when you look at Kay, they don't really have emotion right Mm -hmm. they don't have anything other than one is very stoic Mm -hmm. and the other one is stoic in his idea of thinking himself god yeah right and so like it's their personalities are just really representative of what the filmmakers were trying to say about those emotions Mm -hmm. or those emotions in this setting because this is a dystopian future where there is no more plant life there is no more like animals or anything Mm. right global warming yeah we love to see it uh we love so what i have written down for joy so joy is sweet thoughtful fleeting delusional helpless and not real or tangible so when you look at it on the surface like oh she's so sweet she's all this but no matter how much you want her to be real she is not real. She'll never be you real. You know, she'll never be real. She's also completely helpless. You know, like she she dies at the end. Yeah. Or like, you know, kind of unceremoniously because it's just like, boom, Stomp. squish. Okay. Like literally stomps out the joy. Love destroys joy. Yeah. 
right? And so when we look at love, love is desperate, dangerous, quiet, obedient, chained, and wants to win at all costs. Yeah. So love is more of a fearful kind of emotion in this, which is also like, I I don't know. What the intent there is. Yeah. 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 And like, because the only way that these men experience these emotions are through the female personification of these of, of its these. namesake, of yeah. like specifically these two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah which is, it's, really, it's kind of fun. I didn't put those together, but that's exactly true. Yeah. But, I do, I, I will say, I do like the sort of exploring the rigidity of masculinity in two different varieties, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see these two, one is so rigid in power, the other is rigid in like personal, I guess, acceptance, but also like self discovery in some capacity. Yeah. But like, how that vulnerability is hard within the constraints of this masculine idea. Like he doesn't really want to open up. He doesn't like want to know about this. And in these moments of like newfound discovery or what he thinks is a new fact, he like, like I can't like, (laughs) Oh my God, I'm this, ah, like, you know, like like, everything's so tampered down until he doesn't know where to siphon these emotions. And it just kind of like explodes out of him. Well, and what's also really interesting about that too is joy is only for the privileged and it's only attained at great cost yep. right whether that's monetarily in, in this it's monetarily but at, at great cost right you know like oh my god you have a joy you know or you have joy in your life yeah um so i thought that was really interesting who is allowed to have joy or to buy joy or yeah. whatever so there's a conversation about those yes. who have wealth have joy yes yes um so i like that and then i also like that joy's job was to make him feel important to make him feel cared about to make him feel special and as the viewer you see it you feel it you know you kind of you want her to be real all this other stuff right like you want this for him and for her you want her to be real because she wants it so bad but then we see the big jumbotron ad where she comes down which interactive ads are so fucking tight right and the name that joy his joy gives to him is joe because when he starts to think that he's the child or anything right then he confides in her and she's like oh you're special you need a name joe your name is joe so then when this jumbotron lady comes down and she's like you look like a good joe and then it's like it really is all just down to programming and like the i think her tagline for her as a product is everything you want everything you desire want whatever yeah but like she was designed for us to love her and to want to take care of her and to, or for him, right? You know, and us as the viewer, right? Like yeah. to be everything that we think of as good and wholesome and, and what we want to come home to and all this other stuff. Well, cause like look at our first introduction to her. The very first time we see her, she's cooking a homemade meal for her man. Like put your feet up. You've had such a hard day. Look at this. And she's tell wearing like a cute little apron and like she's mm-hmm. got her hair up and all that stuff. Tell me about, yeah, like, tell me about your day. So it's, it, we're seeing like, oh, this is this version that I guess a company would think a consumer would want or a male consumer would want. I mean, they in, were right. In a, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I do think like because that was such a, a stereotypical look at what that kind of a relationship could look like and then they immediately break that, it mm-hmm. was like kind of being like, she is this. Mm-hmm. This is what she, she is a product. She is this thing. And then like she changes her appearance to wear like a t-shirt and her hair is down and like it's a whole different look. And so then we start to see this character developing in his life as this person. And so like we as an audience are starting to develop these feelings of like 
they can't be together. Like, oh, that's, you know, yeah. right? Like, what they're sort of telling you to feel. Well, especially because, like, he's so miserable. Yeah. And he's so, he's not allowed the luxury of feelings, right? And so I thought it was also really interesting that the replicants, right, are not allowed to have feelings or to have free thought and they have to obey and all this other stuff. Whereas the AI is allowed to, or the, the the hologram, right, is allowed to have feelings and allowed to kind of like explore that and see what this means and all of that. Yeah. Because there's no danger from a hologram. Because they can't pass. Yes. Yes. Because they physically can't do anything. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like this is the type of AI that is linked to like anything like they can't shut down government programs or do whatever. They are just like a hologram and self-contained mm-hmm. in their thing. They're not networked to anything. So I thought that that was also a really, really interesting choice. Truly, yeah. Because it's safe, right? It is safe, yeah. And I do, I, I love the idea that like... Even in that moment when they do, like, he he gets her that gift, which is, like, you can come with me. That first moment they go to the roof and she's, like, feeling the rain and stuff. They're going to kiss. He gets a phone call. It interrupts that and moment. She gets paused. And awkward phrase. Yeah, she gets paused. <laughs> so her joy is literally paused because work is interrupting his life. Yeah. Right? So, like, he's in love. He's feeling good. He's feeling happy about his own life. It gets completely interrupted. Literally. Stop. You have a call. And then she stays positive, like, okay, I'm going to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I, so I love the fact that the AI used the prostitute. I fucking, that that scene scene was incredible. Was really gorgeous. But I loved that the AI was using a physical human. Like, so the way that she used a person in the same way that a person would use AI. Yes. And I loved that. And I love that, like, you know, you could tell that she was a little bit uncomfortable with it, but she is programmed to want to make her person happy. Yeah. Right. And this is what's going to make him happy. Yeah. This is how we can both emotionally feel this. Mm-hmm. Right. And then in the morning, she's just like, get out. Like, yeah, you know, your she's job's just done. Like, your job is done. Whatever. And like, so I loved her treating a person like a physical person the same way that they would treat her. Like treat a piece of technology, yeah. 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 That's when Joy walks in and she's like, why are you still here? Mm-hmm. You're done. Well, and then, of course, she tries to, and she's not wrong, the prostitute, I forget her name. They might have said it once, but she like looks at Joy because two women can't fucking be nice to each other ever yeah. in these movies, right? Or like any movie, but especially <laughs> this movie. Um, but she, the prostitute looks at her and is just like, I've been inside you and there's not much there. Oh, I know. And I was like, that hurts. But then like looking at Jesus. like looking at this all, it's like, she's fucking right though. Yeah. Like, and that I thought that was a great line. It was intense. I want to say too, also the way she appears in this movie, Joy, like just the visual effects of her. So good. Flawless. Like even when they're flying into, what is it? San Diego? <laughs> the San Diego, which is, which is just a dumb. Oh my God. <laughs> In that moment, they're like flying and then something happens with the radar where like they're being shot at and she's interrupted, mm-hmm. right? Because like they're talking like what's happening and then she glitches and like just the visual of that, it was like, it was so good. Where she's like trying to knock on the door. Yes. A, that was very good. It was good. awesome. Yeah. I was just like so impressed. It was Part so of sick. the reason why I loved Joy so much is because of those effects, you know, she was such delight on screen. Yeah. Because she's charming, right? But also yeah. because just fuck like what they did with her and like how she would just change looks and how she would do this and how she would like, I don't know. I just loved it. So, um, yeah, love was also 
Cool. She had a lot of hate for for being called love. She was just really jealous and hateful and yeah. spiteful. And she just has to be the best and win everything. At and, any cost. Yeah. She was so severe. I like her character as the developmental active villain in this. Like... When she goes to steal the bones and then oh, the guy yeah. comes in and she's like, oh, I don't know. And she like turns around, and just like hits him in the back of the neck. But it like fully breaks this man's neck and he dies. Just right like on one hit. Just Whoa. Yeah. It was just like, what? And then when she kills the police chief, she like walks in and they're talking and she's like tearing up and she just like smashes the glass in her hand and just like Ugh, keeps yeah. holding it strong and like pushing the glass into her palm. I was just like, this character is sick. She's not only is like her performance amazing fucking good yeah like phenomenal but just the character itself within the story was like so jarring and nerve-wracking and like full of obvious hatred but like hatred that like because i feel like in every one of these moments she's on the verge of tears like in all of that strength and that power she is like she is on the verge of just like collapse almost like she's so overcome with this idea but she will not fail nothing will get to her enough to where she will not succeed in something that she wants yeah which is like oh she's a volcano of a character like it's so palpable and like intense and smoldering and like oh she was great she's so good yeah she was really great uh the actor said that this was her favorite role that she's ever played that's she did such a good job yeah she really did she fucking knocked it out of the park um Let's talk about... Oh, I do want to say one thing that I didn't uh, mention in the first one. Harrison Ford was so hot. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) He... I mean, I feel like this is not like a hot take. Like, people know he's, like, handsome. but for sure. He is a handsome guy. Like, there are just a couple scenes where he would, like, smirk, and I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) Like, no, go away. You're... He was very, like, he was very attractive. It was, it was, I didn't, I guess it just didn't resonate with me the first few times I'd seen it. But, like, just, just watching him, I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> get out of my face. So, oh, I for digress. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That was a gorgeous film. <sighs> this was a gorgeous follow-up. Yeah. I know, truly. Like, oh, man. Yeah. Um, I do also want to talk about, let's talk about Wallace. What a creepo he is Oof, yeah the savior of humanity Eesh, and the new god through slavery because he through, loves slaves he's like yeah and like that whole tangent that sort of diatribe he goes on talking about how we've lost our strong stomachs to the idea of slavery yeah and that's why we don't have it because we can't stomach the idea of it he's like well this is how we can it's just like queen no one's trying to the no one's trying to retroactively change the opinion of slavery like you monster you're an absolute monster <laughs> well but that's the thing right is there are millions of replicants and all this other stuff and we don't really see any humans ever mm-hmm. right we don't interact with them in the last movie or this one so we don't know how people feel about replicants other than when they use racist slurs and stuff like that right yeah. so we never get to see somebody that actually appreciates them they just want them to do their job and be done and then the whole reason that Jared Leto Wallace wants Rachel or like, you know, the child is because the replicants produced. Right. So he wants in. He he, wants the key to that because then he doesn't have to do the work. He doesn't have to. Yeah. What does he call them? He calls them like his angels. 
Oh, or something. Ew, like, yeah. What was that? Oh, yeah. He says, uh, there were bad angels, but now I make good ones. So he's like, also got this like weird jealous God syndrome where he's trying to say that Deckard's sole purpose was to make this baby for him. So that way he could bring life to a new era and stuff like that when and he's trying to take credit for all of this and trying to like monetize on all of this yeah. and he's like oh cool i made you another rachel yeah you know like chill and i was like okay fine it was gross it was all fun it was real gross yeah i, I hate him i do like that we didn't see a lot of him i was very thankful there's, there's like two main scenes that he's in maybe total screen time being like 20 ish minutes of that character like that, I love that. Because again, like he's a villain, obviously we're seeing, but I am happy that we're seeing way more of love than we are seeing of him. You yeah. know what I mean? Because he just sucks and he's gross. And I don't yeah, like he's pretty horrible. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Every time that I saw him on screen, it was just like cringeworthy. Yeah. And Jared Leto being fucking crazy, right? He Well, just being in... Uh, like, so the contacts that he used that he didn't have to use a thousand percent, right? They blinded him. So he could not see while he was on set. He literally, like, he was like, Harrison Ford is my is my hero. And I couldn't see him while we were on set together, you know? Yeah. So he had to be, like, led around. But one of the things that I hated was the director gave Jared Leto the power to, like, say, had the final say on whether or not Deckard was a, a replicant. So he was just like, okay, it's your choice. You're the only person that knows because Jared Leto's character sees inside of Deckard's brain, right? And his memories and stuff like that. So he knows. And Jared Leto is so excited that he's the only person that knows that he's going to take that shit to the grave according to what he... That's so silly. That's fucking gross. So he's like, okay, you get to decide. And he's like, cool. But but, But what I love about that too is sort of like pacifying a child. Where it's like super consequential. It's like, so you decide on that and you don't have to tell anybody. And they're like, oh, really? I don't? I'm going to just, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody. But it's like, it doesn't mean anything. What a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's very, it, yeah, that seems very silly. It seems very on brand. For him, for yes, him. truly it does. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, I want to talk about a couple of the really, really subtle homages that they did. So like, there are those scenes where they like, cut from like a close-up of an eye to like a big circle or something like they did that several times because in the same way that they did the cinematography with the first one they tried to emulate that in this one to some capacity mm-hmm. which i loved and then at the end when love and k are fighting once the ship crashed right before they got to where they needed to be on the shoreline they're fighting and in the moment when she's about to kill him she kisses him in the yeah. same way that in the same way that Batty kissed Tyrell in that moment, it's like, you're going to die. Well, and the, Here's line, your death. the line that she says the kiss too of death. is, I'm the best one. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. again, like playing into her, like, I have, to be, I have to be the one. Yeah. I have to be this, yep. you know, like. But I, I did mwah. love that. I love that kiss. And it really is like a literal kiss of death. I guess I didn't acknowledge that before, but it's like, yep, you're going to die. But then he doesn't. And then he goes and kills her. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, very good. And then, well, I mean, he does die because she well, stabs him. She stabs but, him like, like yeah. hard and like yeah. does the and then, and up does and the down, thing. down thing with the <laughs> knife inside, and it's like, the ooh, you're down? hitting, you're hitting several things inside. Ooh. You're getting bonus points <laughs> in there. Um, I thought it was really interesting that in the last film, Rachel didn't believe her memories were fake, 
And in this one, he doesn't believe his memories are real. I thought that was really oh, fun. Uh, okay. Because, like, you know, before, like, she didn't know what she was. And so she's trying to, like, she's going through the motions of realizing that she's she's a replicant, right? And yeah. what does that mean? And in this one, he's like, oh, I'm fake. My uh, memories are all fake. All this stuff is fake. But, you know, it's cool, whatever. Yeah. And then when he finds out that some of them are real, that's when he's like, Oh, fuck. So, like, that is just as jarring for him. And yeah. I thought that that was really cool because, like, he had known and accepted what he was and he was just, okay, that was yeah. his life. And which, then, which is emblematic of, like, him doing his daily job, right? Like, going yeah. and being like, I'm sorry, I have to do this, but I have to. He's just, like, he's accepted what he is. He is a replicant who is a Blade Runner who kills other replicants, right? Like, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that is a really interesting see to see the dichotomy of two different types of the same character where you're seeing who he thought was his mother who isn't and i also so spinning it into that i love that he wasn't the one i love that he was not the focus like this whole time the narrative is trying to lead us to believe that he is the daughter of rachel or the son of rachel yeah that he is the child that she gave birth to and then in that one moment when the underground army resistance of the uh, matrix lady yeah they show up and he's like what and then they're like yeah we're gonna go find the daughter and he's like, what daughter? She's like, oh, you thought you thought you were the baby. <gasps> no, oh, sweetie. sweetie. No, 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 yeah. no, no. You're not the baby. You thought you. Oh, that's so sweet. You thought you were the baby. You thought this story was about you. It's not about you. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> love that. I love just the spin of it where it's like we're seeing this character and like that's what we're all believing. And then it's just like, no, that's not who it is. And then you find out that it's the. Dream, not, I keep wanting to say uh, dream the maker. Memory maker. Memory maker. Dr. Memory maker. Well, then also it just changes the entire context of that scene with her. With oh, Kay. Fuck yeah. When she sees the memory and cries and she's like, this is somebody's real memory. And yeah. then he's like, I'm the kid. Fuck. Ugh, this is a, my memory. And you realize that it was her. It was her in those flashbacks where she had to dress up like a boy because they were trying to make sure that nobody knew who she was. Yeah. And that was her memory. So she's seeing that. And those tears are her tears tears from an event that happened in her life. And she's seeing that. And she doesn't like I just it's heartbreaking. And it changes the whole context of that scene. And I think it's beautiful. Like for sure. Oh, my God. Well, and it's great because I think that really drives home the fact that she is the save the true savior of the replicants. Right. Mm -hmm. Because. There's a couple of lines where they say that the only reason the replicants now are a- are so stable mm-hmm. is because of the memories that she makes, because she is like the sole memory maker for these replicants, yeah. right? And so she has this great line about like how memories aren't about the detail, it's about the feeling. And she also like just really subtly says there's a little bit of her and every person or mm-hmm. in every replicant, right? While at the same time, like, implanting actual memories is supposed to be illegal, right? So it's just so interesting, I think, that she's the savior of them, not only just because, like, of her existence, but also because she is able to help them feel stable and seen and valid in a way that wasn't before. Truly, and, like, giving them real memories to help them feel real, like... Real feelings, yeah. The one memory that he has is this one thing, like this feeling, this, remember he had this horse and he was beat up by this group of kids and he hit it. And he's like, I don't really remember much, but this one, I'll never forget. I'll never yeah. forget this. So she's allowing replicants that the, the feeling of 
of almost like not like I'm sure to some replicants nostalgia and to some replicants this feeling of like longing or abandonment or something that was so so palpable and so intense and so emotional that it's forever imprinted mm-hmm. right that's amazing that's so cool yeah so she gives them stability and mm-hmm. she yeah, like yeah, yeah. and that allows them to just be themselves and to live a life and to not go crazy and just like this army that is built around her and the idea of what she represents and what she exists whether or not anybody knows who she is except for the one person obviously we don't know how many people know who or what or where she is they just know that she exists and they don't even realize that she's the one that also makes their memories so she's she's their savior on both of those levels whereas jared leto can go fuck Fuck himself himself. yeah yep (laughs) he's the worst she's literally doing the work and he's just a piece of shit yeah yeah i also just love every scene with her because of like her making those memories in that room with that little um it's almost like a um, a puzzle box. It's like a gyroscope mm-hmm. where you, like it has all these dials and like she can change and manipulate and create. But like when she's sitting there, she's like, I'm listening to you. Don't worry. He's talking and she's making a memory of a birthday. Yeah. With like the kids and she's she's like crafting the cake and you're seeing all these different iterations of a cake. She's changing the amount of candles. I think it's like Mandarin characters or something on the cake and then changes it to a different language. So she's like. She's creating this beautiful thing with all of this knowledge and all of this feeling that she has and creating this beautiful moment. And it's like so, so easy, effortless to just do yeah. this and create create a feeling. She's so in tune with, with what it means to feel and what it means to exist in this way. She's like so emotionally powerful that she can create these palpable feelings, these palpable moments with such ease and such care and craftsmanship like i think it's the beginning of that scene where it's her in the in the in a forest and she's got the little puzzle thing and she's looking at an insect and the insect's eyes are like getting bigger and getting smaller and getting bigger and getting smaller she's like making sure that the eyes on this bug are just right and that means that like every leaf in this forest she is created yeah perfectly to be exactly what she wants it to be in this space like Every, and again, I, I guess that just goes to like the story of it. Intent, intent matters. Like she crafting things with like such care and such precision. She was so good. Like I just loved her character so much. Yeah, I did too. And she wasn't even in it very much, but she, she didn't like have scenes. to be because of what she meant. And like, you know, because once you realize, like once the twist is there and stuff like that, you're like, what the fuck? And then also she's the product of Rachel and Deckard when they accept their true selves and who they are and what that means, yeah. right? She is that product. And so, of course, she's going to be better and stronger and, you know, be able to, like, help other people because she was born out of that yeah. acceptance, yeah. you know? So she already has that mm-hmm. moving forward. And so, you know, that just goes back to, like, the next generation is going to be better and all of this as long as we, like, you know, continue to perpetuate all of these things and and just move forward. Yeah. Fuck it. And like like, even that last scene with her when he's outside dying on the steps and it's snowing and snow is falling on him when Harrison Ford walks in the room, she's standing in a, in a, a pillar of snow almost to imply this, like she's connected to all of these people because of the memories. So it's like he's outside literally dying, but they're still connected and she feels him. She feels what is happening to him in this room. Cause she's not outside. There's no windows. She can't see. Mm -mm. She's creating snow and she's in this pillar of snow, even though she has no idea it's snowing outside. But because we're seeing these two characters who are already connected and they're sharing this one memory, this feeling, they're sharing a feeling, this idea of empathy and this idea of kindness through shared experience and through vulnerability and through empathy. Like where she, when she sees that memory, she cries 
I'm sure she cries. She's crying for herself, but she's also crying for him. Yeah, like he feels that. He feels. He and feels that's, that. And that's connection, right? Yeah. That's the that's that's the power of sharing stories yes. and of empathy, like mm-hmm. you were saying, and everything is like when you connect with somebody, especially like through such a strong emotion, like that bonds you, mm-hmm. and that also like you're not alone, you know, yeah. and like that's what keeps us connected and together. I mean, it was so good. I, that. I like just those small moments. It was so. Perfect. Like I, I like couldn't even believe when they walked in. She was around snow. I was like, "That is beautiful. Like that is so perfect." Ah, such crafts. <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> like this is so. I just, I feel like it's so. It was so good. It was so well done. Like all of it was so well done. I'm so impressed. And it was really neat because, like, oh. I feel like a lot of the ways in which they used modern technology, like you know today's filmmaking and stuff like that, mm-hmm. to build upon the world that was created in the first film you know it didn't feel out of place it didn't feel too jarring and like the stuff with the cake or with joy her glitching and stuff like that that's possible because of our technology today but it wasn't so overt to where it didn't feel real you know and i just thought everything about this movie was a choice and it was so well done and so well thought out Mm -hmm. and this movie was fucking Great. Like even juxtaposing, like you were saying, the development of technology where it's like, this is like a believable thing. Like we can see that. It's funny comparing that to like, what was the foreseeable future of technology in the first one where like, it's a payphone, but it's for FaceTime. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he goes up there and it's like, pay whatever money. And then you can see a video of them. Like, what are we going to have in 2019? It's probably a payphone, but for video, like, you know what? We might have that. You're right. <laughs> and we do. And it's, we do. But yeah. yeah. It's weird. Ooh, like sorry. there's like some technologies that like Blade Runner had predicted, like the FaceTiming. Yeah. Thing, right. Yeah, yeah. Or like there was no Jumbotron in Times Square at the time that that film was released. And then suddenly Jumbotrons are everywhere and that's a thing and the whole thing. So uh, it, it's just really fun and really yeah. cool. I love that it. All of that Ugh. exists. But yeah. This whole film was just so good. And I feel like we could just go deeper into it. Like I know. everything, everything, every line, every shot, every, it was all. All the props, everything. It like, was all intentional. Like, and it was super, super packed with like symbolism and like metaphors and with this and with that. And it was just. Uh. Also, can we talk about how great it is that they, they made it so Roy Batty's plight was heard and seen yeah like, because replicants actually live now like longer than four years yeah. so like it also makes the first one important still like not just because of rachel and deckard and whatever romance that budded out of that gross relationship right yeah. but like also it validates him and his struggle and what he went through and what he did and i really really like that and if we're looking at it still through the lens of like a queer existence a gay existence mm-hmm. look at that first scene with Kay when he gets back from the dave batista scene he's walking through the hallway not making eye contact with people and some guy walks by him and throws something at him and calls him a skin bag yeah like so if this is some sort of talk about a gay existence it's like, yeah, gay people are allowed to like be out and gay, but people are still going to be Assholes. shitty. Yeah. They're still going to call names. They're still going to bully. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I it, love that. It plays into both films, Perfect. I think, and it plays into it very well. And so I am like, I don't think they're doing another film, but I would fucking love it because I feel like with Harrison Ford getting to his daughter, I feel like they set it up so the revolution is going to happen right the fuck then. 
because like he was supposed to kill Deckard, right? And he yeah. didn't. Instead, he took him to meet his daughter. Yep. So they were probably being tracked, first of all. So they know now where Deckard is and mm-hmm. what's going on. So mm-hmm. they have to break that girl out or she has to break herself out because, mm-hmm. you know, she is fucking capable. Yeah, she's the leader. But yeah, so I feel like the next installment would be the revolution because it yeah. is like you're at that doorstep right now. Yeah. And like you could pick it up right the fuck then, but, you know? But I honestly, what I love about how succinct and perfect and like intentional this story is, is that I kind of hope it doesn't. Like they yeah. do, they never go. Because even that last scene, you don't even get to see their conversation. He walks and he puts his hand on the glass. He sees her face. They see each other. He starts crying. Credits. That's it. Yeah. You don't get any more. This is the story. And that's like, there's so much implication of like what could happen because of like how intense a lot of the subject matter is within it and like how emotional it is but it's just like no no you got this scene as a treat this was just like a nice moment for you but you only get a half piece because it's gonna ruin your dinner so you don't get any more wouldn't it be interesting (laughs) like if there was this same amount of time and like let's go back to this queer uh, yeah everything right so the same amount of time between so like this is kind of representative of where we are now yeah right and then like let's do it another 25 years later let's oh, see yeah. where how that compares with where we are now if yeah. we're gonna go down that route truly let's yeah because then you get to see like what everything looks like in 30 or so years or whatever and yeah I, it was interesting i don't know if we even really got into like the blackout stuff like no yeah that's fucking cool story-wise they're developing this idea of like this big thing happened that kind of fucked everybody's shit up everything's different everything has changed there was pre-blackout and post-blackout we're gauging our metric of time based on this incident it was so monumentally big right but it's never so expository as to feel like here's the scene where they tell you exactly what happened in the blackout you're getting glimpses of that moment from characters based on their experience within it not being like you remember in the blackout when this happened it's just like we lost the stuff because of that and you know why so <laughs> like i'm not yeah. gonna tell you well and if you really wanted to know we can go back and watch the short films which i'm going yes. to yeah but which... they give you just enough like you were saying mm-hmm. to where it's like this was a big thing that happened this is the result of the blackout where we lost everything except for paper copies how interesting is that yeah especially in a world that no longer has trees Right? Yeah, that right. no longer is able to support animal or plant life. Yeah. So the only thing that they had was like these remnants the, of things that were going extinct. Yeah. And then the cloud got wiped. So they're like, what? Yeah. Those small moments that had really nothing to do with the story. Mm-mm. But it the had so much to do with the world building yeah. and the believability of being in this place. Like this is a shared existence. This thing happened. This thing no longer exists. Like we all know it. And they're not spoon feeding that to you they're allowing you to catch glimpses of what that world looks like in real conversations within it again just so many many points to the team that put this together story-wise prop-wise look-wise like set design everything in the actors the the music everything about this movie was just i love this movie i will watch it forever and ever and ever and Mm -hmm. ever Okay, cool. So we watched Blade Runner. Uh, I'm sorry, Blade Runner, the final cut. The final cut was the God, first thing. So yeah, yeah. And Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Eric. Yes. I already know your answer, but who was the first one for? I'm going to just, this, okay, so I've said it like every 
one thus far. This is the first time I like I really mean it though. For the gays, like it's just it is. It is like there's no way. Like this was this was a gay film. Yeah, this is a gay film. <laughs> like, I yeah, one <laughs> it was a gay film. Thousand percent. <laughs> That was the best fucking take on this. So and 1,000% this movie oh is for the gays. I agree yeah, with you. 1,000%. We already know the answer to this, too. Did you like it? I loved it. Fucking love this Blade movie. Runner's fantastic. It's so it's such a good movie. I will watch this movie forever and ever. And now I want to go watch the, the the mini ones. Yeah, the short films. Yeah. I had no idea they existed, and now I want to see them, too. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. so excited. Um, 2049. Was this new, interesting, or the same, progressive, regressive, and how has the story evolved with today's ideas? I think it is new and interesting and progressive. It's like all all of the right things. It took the story that was already very good, crafted an entirely new narrative around the world that existed in this new way, and told this new interesting story with the same tools that had been given from the first one. Like, But it built it in such a way that like was interesting and progressive and made me think about these characters that I already had thought about, but now it's like, oh, maybe I don't know this. Like, yes, it was progressive. It was new. It was interesting. It was all of it, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I think it was for sure new and interesting. I think it was progressive in some ways, but like regressive just in its the way that women are portrayed, how they're just extensions of their male counterparts. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think the so only that- human woman we saw was the FBI was yeah the or, LAPD, sorry, LAPD chief. chief but even her she was very abusive in the power that she had where she's trying to hit on him and stuff like that yeah she's like you're programmed to she could have told him to fuck her right then and because he's programmed to obey he would have had, had to yeah yeah so it would have been cool like i really loved the characters a lot but i would have liked to see them have a little bit more to them rather than just them living to make the male counterparts happy but this is a dude story yeah and even rachel wasn't even really a big part of it the whole movie was about her and what came from her you know yeah Uh, but she was barely there so but i still really loved it no yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i 100 percent. yeah who is this for i don't know i don't know who is it no you okay you go first Um, (laughs) i don't know i feel like this was a gift to people that love cinema like this is a love letter to fans of the original everything but like just truly an amazing piece of cinema i think it was so good and refreshing in a time where all we're getting are basically like action shoot 'em ups you know yeah um unless you go to like indie or anything but like on a major release like this is what we're getting so i think it was just a breath of fresh air to let us feel our emotions man. yeah let's talk about it and also for the gays because it's like you know <laughs> it went and it like <laughs> i think that this movie is an apology for the latest alien movie because if we're looking at ridley scott yeah that last, oh, I it's Wasn't not that bad. I didn't see it, so I saw it. I loved it because it was silly. It was so silly. So it was an apology for it. Yeah, cool. Did we like it? Yeah, I loved it. I like it. Love it. Gotta have it. I, I ate my ice cream and then I went back for another. Love it. Full, full cake batter. Love it. And then a second cake batter. Love it. I gave myself a sugar tummy ache for this movie. I went. I had. 
love it. And then I went back for a second one. And then I just bought a fucking quart and came and home. And an ice cream cake. And ate it with a spoon. Yeah. Out, and, straight and, out of the carton. And fuck it. I got samples in between too. Who cares? <laughs> I did. I did. I got samples in between the purchasing of the actual ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very good. It was such a good movie. It's just so refreshing because obviously there were problems. But generally, these are really two really, really good movies. And so it was so cool to like watch, like not to, like again, not to say that like all the other movies that we've done are bad, but a lot of them were bad. <laughs> but this was just so well done. So well done. Both movies were really good. And so just to be like critiquing them and like watching them and being like, instead of being like, look at all this bad stuff. It's just like, oh my God, that shot. And like, oh my God, these themes. And oh my God, this idea. Like it was just, that shit is sick. I was so excited to do this. This is how you should make movies when yeah. you're doing sequels or when you're remaking things or like this is just fucking beautiful take notes yeah take notes it was the everybody right, god the, damn it the, take notes the re the, the 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 continuation of the story was the right amount of nostalgia in the right way but keep well but and the keeping, nostalgia didn't drive it it didn't no you kept the story fresh the, the story was what we were here for and you got li- little moments of of nostalgia of like commenting on like when they played back when they're sitting there and the then playback, they, they yeah. the playback of the conversation when she's doing the eye test and he's like she's like is this a whatever test or a lesbian like literal audio from the other movie like you're being like oh my god like this is in their files because like this was a test so these are the moments but it makes sense in the context of the story not just like look at this sculpture with like an old character it's and you're like okay it makes all of it makes sense and all the choices were correct for the most part. All the choices in that way were correct. So it wasn't, like you said, a nostalgia-driven film, but it was a film that was able to cater that nostalgia in a way that didn't feel just like fan service. It was a sta- It's its own standalone thing, but yeah. it did it in such a really beautiful and really intentional way. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I loved it so much. It was so good. <sighs> Is there anything else we have to say before we sign off? No, I feel really good with this. I do too. Oh, so good about this. This was such a treat. Um, if you feel good about this and if you like this movie or if you want to talk more about this queer canon that yeah. we're building and Eric's going to write because message fuck, me, yes. message us. Let's um, talk. Yeah, let's let's talk about this. And also while you're at it when you're messaging us, go ahead and do that in the in Apple Podcasts. <laughs> message us with a comment and a five star review. Cozy <laughs> love us. Um, <laughs> shameless plug. I know. Um, so you can write into us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media, all this stuff, right? We're there. Just yeah. find us. I think Twitter or Instagram is the best way. Yeah, I say Instagram for sure. Instagram for sure. Twitter, we're Tweet like at name. us. But anyways, and yeah, uh, review us. Give us a like and stuff and follow us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And tell your friends. Um, We would like to thank David Cicero for providing tech support, Danny Barkley for editing our podcast, and thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. All right. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, bye. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.